0: Do not, my friends, become addicted to water, it will take hold of you and you will resent its absence. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Raindrops keep falling on our heads, but that doesn't mean we won't watch Mad Max Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 10, which begins with a massive torrent of water pouring from massive pipes, and it ends with the wretched fighting over pools of muddy water. Back off, War Child, because this week we're joined by Myrn Kennedy and Jessa of the Point Break Minute.
1: Hello. Hello! Just came in through the door, drying off from our time in the rain here in Portland. Very foggy, actually, here today. Not raining, but yeah, we're coming from the water world of Point Break. So appropriate that we have you on this minute very specifically, because it
0: arguably contains the most water we're going to see in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. There might be a scene later on, like at the very end, where the Milkwives open up the valves again, where it might flow even more, but
1: we're nowhere near close to that yet, so we'll save it. It's a long way from here. (laughs) (laughs) This is almost as much water as in the movie Point Break. Not really, but it's a lot because you, you technically see the whole ocean, <laughs> I guess. So A couple of oceans, actually.
0: Yeah, when I was going over these minutes, I saw all of that white water pouring out of the pipes and all I could think of was a tiny Patrick Swayze on a surfboard oh. going out on one of those streams and a little Keanu standing by saying, oh, oh man. he's not coming back. Oh, you would love that. Oh, <laughs> It'd be like surfing and skydiving combined.
1: Yeah. Oh, the,
0: the ult- that, that is the ultimate right there. Mm-hmm. That's what he's searching for. <laughs> this minute starts off, as I mentioned, with water pouring from the pipes. At the very end of Friday's minute, Joe opened these pipes and the water started flowing out. And right here at the top, Julia, have we ever mentioned on the podcast how much we love watching the Vsauce content on YouTube?
2: I'm sure that has come up because I just can't imagine that we've never mentioned something we learned on the Vsauce Network. I guess it's a network. They yeah, have it's like a channels. family
0: of channels. Yeah, that's a network. Thing.
2: I, so I'm sure that we have.
0: So not on Vsauce 1 or 2, but on Vsauce 3 is a guy named Jake Roper. And he has a limited run. I think he's still slowly working on it of videos talking about different scenarios in movies. Like, would you survive this movie? Would you survive that movie? And he did one for Mad Max Fury Road. And at the end of that video, he talks about this very situation, the idea of standing underneath so much water. And he points out that what Joe is doing here is he's creating an artificial waterfall and he starts throwing around these numbers. So listen to this. By his calculations, these pipes would release over 7,000 liters or 1,800 gallons of water for us American types per second.
1: (laughs) It's very wasteful.
3: I wonder where he got those numbers to.
1: That's a good question, Jessak. I'm sure he's a scientist type of some kind. In the video, he doesn't specifically say, this is my work. He doesn't cite his sources. Exactly. Oh.
0: But the main crux of the thing is that it's a lot of water. It's a lot. Falling from very high up. And if you were standing directly under it, sure, you're not going to get hit by all 7,000 liters at once, but when he factors in the size of a human... You'd still be getting hit with the equivalent weight of, he said, eight helicopters per second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've seen where you're coming from here. So I guess we assume that there must be, you know, there's a big crowd of people mm-hmm. underneath the water. There must be at least some of them who get hit by it. Like, hey, it's, it's kind of hard to care. avoid. No, of course. Yeah, he, yeah he's, a, he's a heartless sort of They're character. The, you know. what, are
3: they, what are their names again? The Scum? The the,
1: the wretched. wretched. The
3: Wretched. Yeah, he doesn't... Give,
1: give a hoot. <laughs> they're wretched. They're they're down below while he's up above. Yeah, it's a very exactly. cla- class division here. Exactly. <laughs> Next to those uh, those big plateaus.
3: Yeah. And it would go to further his point that it wouldn't be his fault that killed him, it would have been the water that killed them. I
1: blame the water. Blame the tools, not the carpenter, as they say. <laughs> yeah.
2: And is it at the end of this minute where he warns against... Becoming addicted to water.
1: Oh yeah, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: It will take hold of you, and you will resent it in its absence. Yes, so, I love that. Yeah,
1: he's demonizing
2: water. <laughs> yeah.
1: Watching the movie, I kind of just let it pass by. But thinking about this, it's it's a very he just sort of. Uh, but you, whips,
3: let, I'm sorry, you, you let that line pass by. Yeah, that wasn't like a li- a horrifying. Like the, no, oh, okay.
1: I didn't really think sorry. about like the amount of water that is just being like thrown away here. I get what he's doing here. He's just kind of whipping it out and putting it on the table, just like, this is, look what I'm willing to do to show my authority here. I have so much water, I don't even care about this. But I would think, like, in this drought, the higher class of this economy would want to hold on to their water, you know. But maybe he just has so much, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Or maybe it recycles. Maybe there's a grate down at the bottom that it just gets all recycled back or something. We
0: learn from supplemental material... From the Mad Max universe that the Citadel is sitting on top of a massive underground aquifer. Mm-hmm. Ah. Considering that the Citadel produces so much shade, hopefully not all of the water would evaporate because of the heat of the sun. But hopefully some of it would actually seep down into the ground and go back into that aquifer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, could be.
3: He also has that room of plants, right? That's where the milkmaids or are... Not the milkmaids. Milkmates? Is that what their name? Milk is? mothers. The, thank you, milk mothers. Reside. So I wonder if there's some recycling going on there with the plants.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. They have their own little sort of greenhouse and yeah. uh, you know internal environment. Yeah. But to take this further, so what would you say is the purpose of these pipes? Is it just to show his riches, sort of water as currency? To be like, look how much I have, just as like a big show for the wretched.
2: If this is a show of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look how much I have, and I am being benevolent by giving it to you. He's also using it as a weapon. He's telling them, don't become addicted to water. Mm -hmm. You will only resent it when it's gone, making water the enemy. Mm -hmm. And also, because there's a finite amount that he's giving them, they are fighting. And we see it in this minute. They are fighting over water. Mm -hmm. And that's another way that he's weaponizing it. See, look what you're doing to each other because of water. Mm -hmm. You have turned against each other because of water.
1: He would keep them under control by giving them hope and then taking it away,
2: you know, <laughs> so back and horrifying. forth. Just like
1: keep them going, but then take it away. To give them. I guess, that yeah, that, that makes sense. That seems like it would be worth it. I'm just thinking about like what it would have taken to build this contraption, but thinking about it really is kind of his number one weapon in controlling the populace, keeping power, showing what he's got. That makes sense to me now. I'm glad that you brought up the idea of how did this come to be physically? Because
0: obviously... This set, it's all computer-generated. It was taken from concept drawings, and they were building on this idea of gigantic termite mounds. Looks flippin' amazing. And they actually flew about Australia taking high-res photos of the sides of cliffs, and they used that in their computer-generated constructions using these real-life photographs. But in the Mad Max companion comic book, the Citadel has always had those pipes— because the folks that were in control of it before Immortan Joe found the place already had those pipes. Hmm. So the whole structure was intended to be an installation that came about during the water wars. Oh, When there was no water anywhere, this was a place where they tapped those giant aquifers and they had the ability to get all a whole bunch of water all at once and then get it out of the ground. So when society fell apart... One group moved in, took control of it, and then when a Morton Joe came along, he wasn't called a Morton at the time, taking the Citadel was actually what took his legend and turned him from Colonel Joe to a Morton Joe.
1: I was about to ask what he was called before. Was it just like plain Joe? Just, you know, just call me Joe. Hey Joe. Yeah. Old Joe.
0: Yeah, he was a veteran of the oil wars and a hero of the water wars, is how it describes him. His
2: name was Joe Moore.
0: Cool. And he led his men in a siege of the citadel and then under dark of night and using his own cleverness, he got into the citadel and him and a small group of his guys went through that place and systematically eliminated all of the enemies and took that place, not single-handedly, but more or less single-handedly.
1: I see. So yeah, kind of a mercenary type, just like Knows the battle, knows the ways, mm-hmm. sort of use that to to take things over and uh, take control. I like to call him a sly combination
0: of the Lord Humongous and Auntie Entity.
1: So that, uh, talking about the, uh, the older characters, this, you know, we've probably talked about this, but Hugh Keysburn played the Toe Cutter. Yep. So it's a full trifecta combination. Yes. So he's a same actor playing two different characters in the same franchise. I was trying to think of other examples of that. And the only one I could think of was... I'm sure there are more, and this is unfortunate, but uh, Stanley Tucci in the Transformers series. He plays uh, an agent in uh, Age of Extinction, and then he plays Merlin in The Last Knight. Hmm. So way to go, Stanley. You got a paycheck. (laughs) Two paychecks, in fact.
2: Well, now I'm trying to think of other times that that's happened. Aside from the Mad Max franchise, because this is the second time it's happened in the Mad Max franchise.
0: Oh. Oh, really? Yep. Because of Bruce Spence, Bruce Spence, starting as the gyro captain and then coming back as Jedediah the pilot. Okay, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess you could also say between the first movie and the second movie, you had the guy who played Benno came back as one of the dudes tied to the front of Humongous' car. Yes, he did. But those roles were Those really were kind minor. of bit parts. I'm not sure yeah. bit
2: parts, background characters really count. Yeah. And doing an evaluation like that.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are lots of examples of that. Uh, yeah. And there are lots of like superhero kind of examples where it's like uh, Chris Evans played uh, the Torch guy and then he played Captain America, but that's not really the same series. They're both Marvel movies, but... Yeah, different
0: studios. Yeah. And really, I think the fewer people remember that Chris Evans was the Human Torch, the better. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just take those original Fantastic Four movies and set them aside on the shelf... Like That was a nice idea,
1: but it just didn't work out. The idea of making a movie is a nice idea. It doesn't (laughs) always turn out nice. (laughs) It's always a good start. It's a good start
0: like the idea of opening up water valves and letting water pour out onto the folks below. Yes. I've been... Trying to figure out the logistics of this water falling down, and I think one of the main reasons it doesn't crush everybody is that I think it actually hits a couple of ledges on the way down, because when we see the wretched rushing up to the base, it's splashing out at them. So either it blows Mm. off into the wind or it hits the rocks and then spreads I mean, lucky for them, because it's better than being crushed by eight helicopters per second.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and watching this minute carefully, it doesn't look like anybody actually gets crushed by the water.
1: Not quite the story they're telling. Yeah, and then, of course, he shuts it off. I noticed that um, he has uh, two boat throttles as the openers. Mm-hmm. I like that little piece of like you know recycled technology that they wouldn't need anymore, because they're in a desert now. No need for boats. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Now, the pipes, you notice how rusty they are and how old and worn down they are, and that's certainly been accelerated by running water through them and exposing them to the outside. Mm-hmm. But they do look quite a bit older than the levers that he uses up on the ledge.
1: Which look very clean.
2: Yeah, they look brand new. So do you think the pipes were placed there by the last inhabitants? Do you think the levers were placed there by Joe?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. 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 Yeah, because, I mean, maybe before they would have been controlled, like, inside somewhere. Like, down below by the pipes while, like, some engineer working the waterways. But now he needs those levers where his microphone is.
2: Yeah, more showy.
1: That makes sense. Got to re-jigger the the, the contraption.
0: (laughs) So I'm looking at all of these people down on the ground, and they are holding up a fairly diverse selection of vessels to catch this falling water. And it made me think about how much water a person would need to drink in order to survive. And I tried to find, like, what is the absolute bare minimum amount of water that you need to drink a day to survive? Because obviously, if you ask someone, oh, how much water should I drink? They're going to say, oh, eight glasses a day, 64 ounces.
2: Pretty standard answer.
0: Yeah. Based on what I was reading, I found an article from the National Academy's press website that says that. The human body loses, at the very least, one liter of water a day, and that's normal body function. That's sweat, breathing, digestive things forming waste and whatnot. So if you want to maintain a minimum, you're looking at one liter. I'll drink a liter while recording these episodes easily. And it's not actually that much water in the long run. I mean, you could fill a pretty good-sized bowl or pot like these guys are holding and that'll get you more than a liter Mm -hmm. and that's bare minimum but there are a lot of people in this area that are just not close enough to get water at all
2: right these displays of power via water do not happen every day i do think they happen at least every three or four days yeah because that's how long you can go without dying Hmm.
1: and morton joe wants to keep the wretched alive i assume just to have some people to rule over i guess (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, you can't be powerful over corpses. I
1: think he yeah. uses them as a human resource. Oh, yeah. They probably, you know, people have various jobs like farming and, you know, the, the bits of green that we see on the, the plateaus and pro- probably, you know, you know who knows what else. He's got to get new milk mining. mothers from somewhere. Yeah. We wouldn't want any wretched milk mothers, though.
3: Ooh, yeah, it depends. they pretty enough. Yeah, it
1: could be.
2: They do. Oh, we'll see it in a few minutes. They pick out a wretched milk mother.
1: Well, we won't. See it, but we will talk about it. We will talk about it. Okay, we have knowledge of that. I guess yeah, you, yeah, that that is true. Yes. So Yeah, he needs he needs resources from them. That makes sense. He needs to keep them just barely alive. to, you know, stay there. And, needs
3: new war boys. Mm-hmm. I'm sure.
1: And it could also be kind of like the the water technique. Also, sort of like it weeds out the weaker, because like yeah. the strong, the stronger of the populace will get the water, mm-hmm. and then the ones who can't quite get there, like who who needs them anyway, are not good workers. Go away, weak weakies.
2: Because yeah, there's an awful lot of people who didn't get any water. No, yeah. the majority, the vast majority, did not even get close to the water.
1: I just want to reiterate: very inefficient way to distribute water to a. To people.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, so wasteful. Most of it went back to the ground.
1: I would set up a table with some bottles, you know, <laughs> some pitchers and cups, camelbacks. You know, that's a good a way to do it. Help
2: yourself, sign.
3: Yeah,
1: help yourself. You know, donate a dollar if you need. You know, if you feel like it, but it's an honor system. <laughs> yeah, you're looking at the quality of the people in these groups, and most of them are severely dehydrated. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm looking at all this, and the Immortan Joe keeps those valves open for somewhere between 30 and 32 seconds. I've rounded it down to 30 for ease of calculation, even though I was using a calculator. Because like I've said before, and I will keep saying again, it's the Mad Max Minute, not the Mad Math Minute. Mm. Right. <laughs> If I calculated correctly, and based on the number that I mentioned earlier from the Vsauce 3 video, the amount of water that comes out of these pipes in this time is round about 212,370 liters, or, for American measurements, 56,102 gallons, which is more than enough for the people (laughs) here to survive on. However... And as we've mentioned earlier, Joe is not interested in the health and welfare of the people down below. He's all about the visual. The thing that he's all about is exactly what we see in the wide shot around second 22, where you've got these massive throngs of people and these glorious frothy white streams of water that are visible for, I'm assuming, at least a couple of miles. Oh, yeah.
2: That's a very good point. Visibility might be limited a bit by the other plateaus, Mm -hmm. but even people who are not right there in the crowd are going to be able to witness what is going on.
0: If you are wandering out in the wasteland and you hear stories of this place with an astronomical amount of water and you're walking towards these spires and suddenly you hear the roar of falling water and you look to the distance and you see these great streams of water coming out of the stone well first of all water from a stone pretty biblical to begin with oh, very much oh yeah but that alone is going to draw more people to the citadel more options for the immortal joe as far as plucking people out of the group yeah mm-hmm. seeing his strategy come together here exactly now if you wanted to be responsible with your water i would say Use smaller pipes, longer pipes, better placed pipes, because if you've got that much water that you can just throw out into the world, maybe set up a series of sinks, like go over a couple of faucets on the ground, maybe some hand pump things, you know, if you're concerned about health and welfare, be a little bit more responsible.
2: Yeah, if he were actually interested in having real subjects, then he would behave like that. But he's not. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, the whole point is to show him being
3: as wasteful, disrespectful, um, gross display of power as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's like the most wasteful, just useless way he could destroy and get rid of water while putting it under the guise of feeding his addicted
1: And it, Yeah, and like you're people. saying, it also shows him as benevolent. In yeah. a twisted way, like, you know, look what I do for you. Like that's the sort yeah. of uh exactly. you know, captive captor kind of manipulation. Exactly. That can happen. That he's just like, you yeah, know, you don't deserve this, but I'm gonna help I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna give you just a l- little bit of water.
3: And it's that kind of like yeah, kidnapper thing of like, I'm gonna keep you just alive enough like, that you can be of use to me, but not alive enough that you can do anything about it.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a drug. He's like he's getting like someone hooked on drugs and then like the pimp, pimping them out or yeah. like, you know, just like I have what you need. So you keep coming back to me.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's really dark now.
3: It is dark. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's a dark movie. It's the post-apocalyptic
0: equivalent of someone strutting around in $1,500 Italian shirts and driving a Bentley and wearing snakeskin boots and then turning around and paying their employees like $7 an hour. Mm. Yep. It's just enough to keep them there instead of going somewhere else, but you're still just piled on in wealth. Yep. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone specifically. <laughs> at least not anybody that hasn't worked in my very specific number of jobs. Which, hey, if you're trying to narrow it down, I've only worked so many jobs, and if you know anything about me, I guess you could put two and two together, but I'm not gonna come right out and point fingers
1: at people. I'm gonna be very vague as much as I can. we we'll leave a trail of breadcrumbs for anyone who wants to follow. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I know there is an obvious choice at who I could point my finger at as an example of opulent wealth and just complete tone deafness when it comes to the plight of the normal person, but I don't want to date our podcast to one
1: specific 4 to 8 year period.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I mean you believe in the the intelligence of your audience. You don't need to go out and say it. They'll they'll figure it out if they're uh, if they need to. Getting back to the minute Joe has let this water flow, and he's standing
0: up there looking very intimidating and whatnot, and he puts his hands around those valves, and he cuts them closed. And what I like about this minute is there is some swelling and just awe-inspiring music, and as soon as he shuts those valves, boom, music's done.
2: Yeah, the music, it felt very religious, almost. Like, these people were having a spiritual experience. And in this cult of the V8, yeah, they were having this religious experience. This was a gift stowed with benevolence by their glorious leader type thing. And it was wonderful and transcendent while it lasted. And then it's over.
1: Yeah. The Lord
0: giveth and the Lord taketh away. Exactly. Yeah. So it's here after Joe cuts the pipes that we get to see the wretched just start to fight in amongst themselves. And in amongst all of these crowds we take a look over at the war rig real quick and we can see furiosa she's there behind the wheel she's waiting to go and i just gotta wonder if anybody here can venture a guess at what furiosa is thinking like what's going through her
1: mind at this point
3: preparing her escape yeah she's going through i mean we
1: know what happens in the next minute that uh she's yeah she's thinking about the plan i think she has to be you know making sure she remembers everything that she's supposed to do and looking around to make sure you know there's nothing that's going to get in the way.
2: She does lean forward a bit as if she's looking up at Joe and I think what's going through her mind then is the same thing that we've been talking about how horrible a person he is and how deceiving he is to his people and there are people that he treats arguably even worse that we don't know about yet but mm-hmm. she does. She knows how horrible a person he is.
0: I have a feeling that she's getting that one last look at Aborton Joe because she wants to remember him as the charlatan, as the liar, as the pompous blowhard that he is. So that when she thinks back to this moment in the future, once she's gotten away from the Citadel, that she can have that one last image that she can look back on with that hatred. For who this guy is letting the anger fuel her drive yeah exactly like if she had any shred of doubt <laughs> looking up and seeing him like this would erase that shred
2: yeah she knows that the road ahead is going to be incredibly difficult and she may not survive her mission may fail she knows this she needs to make sure that that fire stays strong to get through those hard parts
1: it's interesting. That I, I like that you brought up what she's thinking, because that was what I was thinking you know, like leading up to you know the few days thinking about recording this is obviously there's a movie where people don't talk very much, especially in and Max, and there are a lot of great shots just about that you know feature her eyes kind of mm-hmm. like you see what she's looking at, what she's thinking. It reminds me of like a Clint Eastwood role almost, like how it's all about the face and the the perspective, not about what they say, and I, I think it's wonderfully done, and how she, oh, she's so good in this. Look, I mean, well, do you want to talk about this now that you were? Uh...
2: Oh, yeah. I shaved my
3: head um, after I saw this movie and <laughs> dressed up as Imperator Furiosa for Halloween right after this movie. My life was Imperator <laughs> Furiosa after yeah, this movie. Yeah, it was
1: a pretty, pretty good costume. Thanks. It was pretty authentic. Thanks. <laughs> you didn't get the uh, didn't the, arm. the arm, but you just like put your arm behind you to, yeah. like, to look at it. it wasn't there. Yeah. It was it's such a cool look. Mm-hmm.
2: Nice. Yeah, I think when this movie came out, Furiosa was such an important character yeah. mm-hmm. to, like, the world at large. Even people who had never seen the movie, that cultural moment trickled down to them of this woman who risked everything, who was a badass, who looked great doing it, even though she wasn't dressed in skimpy armor. She was everything that we needed at the time.
1: Yeah. And she's she's not also, like... You see other, like, sort of strong, silent female types, but often they're, like, good fighters or, like, a, you know, a secret agent. And she's, like, uh, <coughs> Imperator Furious, it isn't, like, a great fighter or, like, you know, uh, anything like that. She just does her job, and she's, she's going to do what she needs to do as kind of, you know, I mean, she's good at driving, I guess. She's a good truck driver. But uh, other than that, she's kind of, you know, she only has one real arm, and, but she's, she's going to do what she needs to do regardless of how hard it is or, or what she can do with it. Mm-hmm.
0: When you think about 2015, we actually got two really good female leads in some major films. Obviously, you had Fury Road come out, but also in 2015, you had The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. So you had Rey. And I think Rey and Furiosa fill two different needs. Mm -hmm. Like, I look at Rey and I see, okay, that is someone that any little girl can aspire to. I see Furiosa... As a good role model for women that are older, who have been out in the world for a little bit. If you're not a child, then Furiosa is your Mm go-to. Because she has been living under the thumb of this awful patriarchal force for so long. And you know what? She's not going to take it anymore. Where Ray is a Disney princess, Furiosa is a Rosie the Riveter. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I like that comparison. They were both equally, in their own way, badass and important role models, and incredibly important to society, but in very different ways. Mm-hmm.
0: They mm-hmm.
1: filled different niches. Mm-hmm. 2015 was pretty good. Yeah. 20, yeah, it's crazy that both both these movies came out in that year. Other than that, no, you know, there's there's other good ones too. And we've talked about uh, you know the last couple of years have been hard, but we've had some good stuff come out of it mm-hmm. here and there.
0: Getting back into the minute, because we've circled back around to Morton Joe. He sees the wretched fighting down below, and he grabs the microphone from Rictus, and he shouts down that line that we talked about earlier. Do not, my friends, become addicted to water. It will take hold of you, and you will resent its absence. And I thought, okay, yeah, what else is pretty addictive? Oxygen is pretty addictive. I think we're all hooked on that from the moment we're born. Food, not quite as addictive. You can actually quit food cold turkey for quite a while
2: three weeks
0: and still survive so you think people get high on water now so it might just be that when you start getting really dehydrated those first couple gulps of water is euphoric i'm not entirely sure because i've never tried it
2: oh no i totally buy that we've all been parched and then gotten a glass of water and just chugged it down yeah how did that make you feel pretty damn good
1: yeah, I've had that happen before. Like
2: Yeah. Like your first sip of
3: coffee in the morning.
2: Yeah, and yeah. when you live like the wretched do, pretty damn good, by comparison, is now euphoric.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's a mm-hmm. high.
0: Makes me think of a friend of ours who drank nothing but coffee and wine for a couple of days and then he had to go to the hospital and get rehydrated intravenously. Oh, no. Because oh. coffee and wine does not have near as much water as you think it does.
3: Well, and coffee's a diuretic.
0: Exactly, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just because it's liquid doesn't mean it has everything you need. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that
0: brings us to the end of today's minute. Myrn and Jessa, why don't you tell the nice people listening where they can hear more of you guys?
1: We do point break minute. You know, we hang out with uh, Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, uh Gary Busey, Lori Petty, all those good people.
3: Our best friends. Our
1: best friends, our only friends, really.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh yeah, we go surfing, we go bank robbing, we have a good time. Point break minute, check it out.
0: As for us, come back on Wednesday because with the theatricality of the water out of the way, it's time for this caravan to get in gear and head out on this little supply run. So come back on Wednesday because it's time to hit the road. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
2: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's DSEA by Daniel Bautista of DanielBautista.com.
2: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full.
2: Thank you for joining us for Minute 10 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.